Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crossing the Chasm with Scott Reckler. Scott, so excited for 2024. You know, this podcast began in explanation of the white paper, and now we're back and we're up to the next white paper. And right. so it's an exciting time, I'm sure, for you, for the company, getting your thinking, getting a perspective um, as you build the white paper. So share with us, if you can, a little bit of the, your reflections. Now you look back a little bit on 2023 and what you're thinking about as you move into 2024 and as you prepare the white paper for the next year. Yeah, and, and it's good to be talking, Charlie. So interesting, you know, as I reflect back on 23, you know, we actually talked about the white paper theme being crossing the chasm. And what I think ended up manifesting itself was there was so many dynamics that were unexpected dynamics, you know, between war, financial shocks, bank failures, you know, a historic rise in, in interest rates, inflation, you know, and all the unknowns around all that. And then obviously geopolitical uncertainty with the Mideast and, and with Asia and China that you know, I think that, that it sort of paralyzed people as they were in 23 and, and, and companies and economic players where they looked out and they said, wait, what's, what is this chasm? How big? How wide? Can I cross it? And so I think a lot of people and, and, and strategies were sort of put on pause why they tried to get a better sense of what this landscape mm-hmm. was all about. And as we were ending 23, even though there's still a tremendous amount of uncertainty out there, I think the as the, as the Fed indicated that the, you know, the the ceasing of, you know, the continued rise of rates at the very least, and maybe the reduction of rates was a sort of an almost, okay, all clear, let's at least now assess that landscape. And now we can begin our trek to cross this chasm Mm -hmm. into what will be the new normal. And that being said, I think there's still going to be, this is not going to be a walk in the park. I think that the, the process that we need to go through in the whole, and the whole point of crossing the chasm is addressing this recalibration from what was to what's going to be. And so this is where there's going to have to be an acknowledgement of you know the, the business plans that worked in one world isn't going to work in the other side of the chasm. The capital structures and the values that were put in place in, you know, in the pre-COVID world and low interest rate world isn't going to work in the other side. So this crossing the chasm is also a recalibration process so that when you get to the other side, and those, some are going to get to the other side and they're going to be, you know, in, in, in better situations and some are going to get to the other side and, and worse and some aren't going to get to the other side. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, I think now though, those, there is clarity as to what this chasm looks like, which gives people the conviction to begin that process. And so where, if you look back at 23, you know, we've had, you know, 70% drop in transactions, for example, in real estate Mm -hmm. or in IPOs, market was shut down, you know, bond markets were quiet, M&A activity was quiet, you know, expansion was slower, right? And and if you remember going into 23 from 22, there was a, a, a really negative bias to what was happening, right? There was, with the rates going up, a recession was going to be coming. Now, so interestingly, going into 24, which really was thing sparked on December 13th when the Chairman Powell came out and started to talk about the potential of reducing rates mm-hmm. and what many had called the, the Powell pivot in that instance, there was psychological change. Mm-hmm. And so the fourth quarter of 23 was the inverse of what it was in 22. And that fourth quarter of positive sentiment, you know, has some self-fulfilling impact because in the people are developing their business plans, their expansion plans, their investment decisions, and if they're feeling more bullish, they're going to be more aggressive on that front, right? So I think that could flow into a 24. It's also 
they now it's also a day of reckoning happening because the, the, those that were on pause or kicking the can, waiting to see what was happening and having to deal with the reality of you know businesses or buildings that were overvalued or loans that were underwater, I think now we'll start seeing the activity come to hold where we'll try to resolve those things and reset those bases as we go forward into 24. So I think it's going to be a much more active year than it was in 23. It doesn't mean it's going to be a less volatile year, but it's going to be at least more active. And I think we'll be moving the, the ball forward in that front. Now, I don't think there's an all clear on an economic downturn, right? It's just I think it's a question as to how deep, how wide that might be in certain sectors and certain segments of the economy are probably going to be impacted more than others. And we're seeing already with small businesses already feeling the pain and, and you know, the uh, lower income consumers are feeling the pain with credit card rates at 22%. And so, you know, these interest rates and the weight of monetary policy is impacting the economy differently and in an uneven fashion than it has historically. But the, the, it, it seems unlikely to me that we're just going to fall into a soft landing We'll have without some level of economic downturn, whether it's a headline recession or not, there will be some form of recessions. And we have, you know, even manufacturing has been in a recession, housing has been in a recession, real estate has been in a recession. Um, So, you know, different sectors are being impacted differently right now. And I think that's going to continue more so as we go into 24. Do you feel that people's borrowing abilities will be a tale of two cities where some of the more institutional players will have the relationships with the banks to have opportunities they didn't have before, whereas some of the smaller business owners or borrowers, et cetera, are still unable to get that level of credit. So they won't be able to expand or renegotiate or, or refinance. And so it'll create a gap of opportunities this year. Yeah. So, so I think it already starts that way, right? Because if you think about the larger companies have access to bond markets, have in many cases had the capability to lock in longer term right. borrowing when interest rates were, were lower. So they'll be more immune to this spike in interest rates, right? If you're a small business, generally you're using floating rate debt or term loans, that's one year. And so your cost of, of borrowing is going to more than double. And frankly, your business margin, the cash flow, right, can't really afford that. So a lot right. of you'll see them not, not, not only not have access, they may not have capability to be a borrower in that instance. And same thing, like think about homeowners, right? If you were a homeowner and you locked in a mortgage at two or three percent, you know, you're not going to sell your home and then, you know, have to get a new mortgage at, you know, six, seven or eight percent, depending on what, you know, what, what month it's been the last recently as, as volatile as mortgages have been. So there'll be even a, a have and have not on that front of people who have home equity and those who are squeezed out from even having home ownership because they can't afford to buy a home, right? And so that becomes a challenge along the way. And I and I, th- I do think it's also going to be the day of reckoning for, you know, banks. And we've spoken in the mm-hmm. past, and I think, yeah. you know, with the as we approach this year, I think regional banks in particular are going to be under a lot of stress. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised as the year develops that we see fewer and fewer regional banks. Maybe there's 500 to 1,000 fewer out of the 4,700 banks that there are in the U.S. because some, you know, may fail, right? And then some might be forced to consolidate because they can't make it alone, right? right. They, they, you know, they're in a situation where if you look at their loan book, they have heavy concentration of commercial real estate loans. They still have the issue of interest rates being 
you know, higher than what they're what they originally bought bonds at. So they're what they call duration risk, like which is what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Yep. If you marked it to market, it's they're insolvent, right? There's a lot of banks that still fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're a depositor, you know, you have to ask yourself, do I want to be in a regional bank or do I want to be in one of these larger banks that's you know, a, a systemically too big to fail. And what's my, you know, how do I make that decision? So they got to fight harder for deposits. Yep. And regulators are now putting more pressure sure. on them. So it costs more to be a bank, right? So whether they, even if they're able to survive, which I think many will survive, they're still going to be forced to consolidate in this environment. So there'll be less of those banks out there, which is one of the things that we've seen, you know, at RxR is why we're in the lending business, right? right? Why we've right. become active on lending and filling that hole, particularly construction loans, which is a lot of, uh, you know, that's been an area where the traditional lender has, the bank lender, you know, many of them have pulled out of that space. And so that's a place where we can understand the risk of construction, the cost of construction, monitoring it, and particularly into, you know, housing and multifamily, you're financing into a marketplace that two or three years from now is going to be a shortage of housing still. So when this is delivered, it's going to be lived to be delivered where there's less supply and much more more demand right. to fill that supply. Right. And, and and to your point earlier that it's really there is opportunity and the all clear sign that you're getting is not a full all clear sign. Really it's a you know it's almost like it's almost like the, the post storm I'm when I'm when I'm feeling in the, in the conversation is and I know you know we're all still sensitive to storms and wherever you're listening to, everyone's like, don't bring up those analogies. But after a storm comes, there's still a lot of cleanup to do, but at least the storm is, has passed, so to speak. And so those that can help, those that can change are now energized to do so. And what I'm hearing is that while there's still structural issues, it's not going to get solved with a little bit more investor confidence. Now we're at a unique place where the players in the market that can are going to be moving at a much quicker pace to make those those moves to start to move the economy across the chasm, like you said. Right. And I, and I think, you know, in some instances will be in, you know, circumstances, as I said, that some will be better positioned than others. And I still also think that when you hit the this new normal, which as, you know, we've spoken about in the past, you'll clear this underbrush, you'll have a firmer foundation, it will look different than what the old normal was. And so mm. there'll be more opportunities for some and you want to position yourself for what is different, right? You want to be thinking about what is the world going to be in that new normal that was different than before because we're not going back to where we were before. We're not going back to a world of zero interest rates. We're not going back to a world where people were working in older office buildings, uh, you know, five days a week. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, we're, we're going to a world where people live, work, and, and operate differently than they did before. Mm-hmm. That there's a real cost of capital, which means that people are going to have to focus on, you know, investing that capital to get the greatest level of return and value creation. And I do think we're going to, you know, a, a world that geopolitically has been reset, right? I mean, which we're watching yeah. again with Europe and with with Middle you East. know with the Middle East and with with the relationship with China. So yeah. global trade. What are the implications of that? There's a lot that has yeah. to be rethought in that context. And we're going to a world with that, that I think is, you know, what we have had focused on in the very beginning, the benefit of now harvesting all these investments and innovations that have manifested themselves, you know, during and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. The most obvious is, you know, generative AI and, you know, what it can mean mm-hmm. to society. And if you look back through, um, you know, the U.S., you know, really so much of the dr- growth has been driven by this, you know, free money and a consumer and even the tools that were built, you know, using technology was more consumer driven, right? Games and media. Now we're seeing tools that are going to help in terms of healthcare and in terms mm-hmm. of productivity and in terms of, you know, the you know, innovating on things that uh, used to take years can get done 
in months. And so, you know, you may have a situation where productivity for the U.S. could be, you know, double as of what it's been the last couple of decades, which then, you know, really drives a higher quality of life. But that's the world on the other side, right? right. And that's right. where we got to get to. Great. I, I, as you're saying it, my heart skipped a beat when you said we're not going back because I think everybody's initial inclination is, oh, no, we're going to go back. Mike, this is a problem. I'm not going to refinance my house because I'm not going to buy a new house because we're going to go back to old interest. Wait, I'll wait it out two, three right. years. If we take nothing but this point, it's worth it, which is every person's coming to their own sense of, I have to accept that there's going to be a new normal. And I think that is a major moment that I hope happens in 24, which is just because you remember yesterday, it doesn't mean you're going back to yesterday. And the bias of this is a blip, we'll always go back, has to be replaced, like you're saying with it, which is look over the hill. There's a new world. Right. And whether you like it or not, we're, we're moving to something that's not the same, but it's new. And I think that radical acceptance is going to be probably this year's work. And I think that was what was created the paralysis in 23, yeah. right? You framed right. it in a, in a good context of saying, well, you know, I'm not going to buy that house and wait till interest rates go down. But right. everyone was saying, I'm going to wait to go back, right? That was the beginning of 23, right? Which was, well, it does this. And then there was the, the acknowledgement, you know, the acceptance, right? It was That's like it. the, you know, the five steps right. of, uh, <laughs> right. you know, and, 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 you know and yeah. so this is, the, was it five steps of grieving, right? Or whatever yeah. that yeah. it is when yeah. you go through this, right? That That's the, or, you know, the, the, the concept. And so, and I think that's, you know, again, I think that once you have that eyes wide open approach and you acknowledge it, making decisions are a lot easier, right? Yeah. Dealing yeah. with challenging situations are a lot easier when you're able to communicate that this is how you see the world and this is why we're doing what we're doing versus trying to pretend everything's going to get better. Great. Scott, that was awesome. Thank you for the time. We're looking forward to next time. Me too. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it.